Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But what happened? They get a little lax. And, and they start slowing down because now things are, the reality of them settling in the land starts to hit them. And they're seeing their brothers starting to settle down and put up their tents and putting up the tabernacle. And all of a sudden, the settledness sets in. And isn't it true that most of us, you know, when that kind of thing happens, we just kind of slow down. We kind of slow down instead of keeping the momentum, which is really what they ought to have done. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series in chapters 18 and 19 of the book of Joshua. In today's study, we learn that Joshua continues to divide the land on the west side of the Jordan. However, Joshua needed to motivate the remaining seven tribes to possess their land. Why would they not want to possess their land? It could be because these were people who had not lived in permanent dwellings for more than a generation, and they may have been afraid of something new, even if it was good. Whatever the reason, the bottom line was neglect. They did not fulfill what God had called them to do. Are we neglectful in our duties to the Lord? Let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. All right, let's open up to Joshua chapter 18. We're going to look at 18 and 19. We're going to take communion this evening. I'm hoping to do 18, 19, and 20. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we may only get through verse or chapter 18 and 19. But just to kind of back up where we are at here, uh, the children of Israel, as you know, just to recap very quickly, They've come across the Jordan. Uh, Joshua's led them. They've they started their central campaign into the uh, the the country of Canaan. And uh, for those who are listening, uh, will be listening on the radio. Uh, there's a there's just a map of Israel uh, up here with the uh, twelve tribes uh, designated. The three tribes: uh, Reuben in the south, Gad in the middle, and Manasseh on the right side of the Jordan River, which is on the east side, and then the other. Uh, nine tribes on the other side of the uh, Jordan River, and that's on the west side. And so really they're just marked out there for us. But they come across there, and they, they head central. They, they do the central campaign, and they conquer first Jericho, as you know, and then they, then they conquer Ai, and they learn some hard lessons. And then they turn their attention southward as they begin a southern campaign going down in the south and conquering those cities and those kings, and then heading straight up from there uh, north and doing the same thing, dispossessing the inhabitants of the land, fulfilling Scripture, uh, fulfilling a command, really, of God in Deuteronomy chapter 20. You remember verses 16 through 18 was uh, a pivotal uh, verse or few verses where the Lord explains why they had to be destroyed. 
And you can also couple that with Genesis 15, uh, verses 15 through 18, I believe it is, where God's covenant with Abraham telling him that he would give, God would give him and his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, give them the land of Canaan, the entire thing. And it was going to take some time before God would bring him in there because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. God was still gracious, even with unbelieving nations that have been bent on idolatry. God is still, remember, he just doesn't, he doesn't hate people. God loves the sinner and he loves the saint. And he gives people an opportunity to turn from their sin. And so they, they conquered that whole area uh, up north. And then there comes this happy time in the, in the lives of the children of Israel where now they can kind of settle in. And really, if you go back, um, you don't have to go there with me, but just beginning in verse um, or chapter 13, we, we, we know that it just speaks of the, the three tribes or the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan River, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Uh, chapter 13 really speaks of that. And then finally in chapter 14, we get into the tribes uh, settling on the west side of the Jordan River. And we see that through 14, 15, and 16, the, those chapters, specifically Judah uh, coming in to inhabit their land, and uh, Caleb being given a special parcel of land because of his faithfulness to God, him and uh, Joshua both will receive similar parcels of land separately from within the tribes that they belong to, but God gave them a special uh, parcel of land because of their faithfulness. And he did that because you remember when they first went into the promised land, remember Moses sent out 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes, and Ten of them came back with an evil report, and only Joshua and Caleb were the two that came back with a good report. They were, their hearts were filled with faith. They believed what God had told them. And God looked at these two men and says, you guys are amazing. You believed what I said. Would to God that the other ten would have as well. But they were faithful, and the other ten were walking in unbelief. And we know that Joshua and Caleb and only the younger generation would inherit the promised land, all of that generation that came out of Egypt perished in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They spent 40 years out there in unbelief, testing God over and over again, and God destroyed them in the desert, in the wilderness. And so we look at chapter 15, where it speaks of just a parceling out of Judah, and then we get into chapter 16, uh, where it speaks of Ephraim and West Manasseh, and uh, remember, the children of Joseph are Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh, they are two separate tribes. There, there's a half-tribe uh, on the east side of the Jordan. There's a half-tribe on the west side of the Jordan. And we know that Ephraim is also a son of Joseph. And so between Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh, those were the ones on the west side of the Jordan River that were... Uh, inhabited, and, and they, they, they got their land. And so finally, we come into chapter 18, and now we have a problem. Because now the, the children of Israel have, uh, you know, they've come into the land. Uh, all of them have seen how God has blessed those on the eastern side, you know, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the north, how God had blessed them, and, and they're settled in their land. And, and now the, the children of Israel on the western side, we see Judah and we see Ephraim and Manasseh, and there's this great joy 
because there's a settling now. The wars are, the, the big wars are over. The, the smaller little skirmishes are supposed to be there as they would inherit the land. They were to drive out and uh, dispossess and actually destroy the inhabitants of those areas per God's command, right? But what happened? They get a little lax, and, and they start slowing down because now things are, the reality of them settling in the land starts to hit them. And they're seeing their brothers starting to settle down and put up their tents and putting up the tabernacle, and all of a sudden the settledness sets in. And isn't it true that most of us, you know, when that kind of thing happens, we just kind of slow down, we kind of slow down, instead of keeping the momentum, which is really what they ought to have done. But let's read uh, the first ten verses of Joshua chapter 18, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Let's read it. It says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Shiloh is this, uh, this, this, this town, this city, and this is where they, they settled. And it says, And they set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. And you might want to circle this next word in, the, in verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes. Because remember, if you do the math, two and a half tribes are on the east side, you got two and a half that are already settled, so now we have another seven left to go in and take their land, to, to, to um, go in and settle that land. And so it says, But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Verse 3, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men of each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land. They will survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me, and they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall, therefore, survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they've received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went. They passed through the land and, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. And then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. So let's go back to verse 1 here. And you may be wondering why this is such a big deal. You know, um, them dividing the land. Again, this is, a, this is a victory lap, if you will, because they've already done the major battles, and now it's just a question of going in and doing a little bit of cleanup and settling in. That was the design of God for them, because he wanted to bless them, because they were servants to Egypt for 430 years under hard labor, and God heard the cries of his people. Now he's bringing them into a land that flows with milk and with honey. And they were coming into vineyards that have already been established. They're coming into houses that have already been established. So everything is there because the inhabitants that they would dispossess had everything going already. So they would go into these towns. Some of them they would burn. Some of them they would keep just as they are. 
And they would just literally move into their house, throw out all their idols, and clean up the walls, (laughs) throw out the beer cans, and then they would live. And then they would live. And why is this a big deal? You know, think of how explicit, as last week when we read the inheritance and the towns and the cities that God had given them, very specific, very precise things. If you had a, a detailed map back at this time, you could go and you could actually see all these places. And why is that a big deal? Well, God is precise. And that land belongs to them. And one of the reasons why the Bible is so wonderful is because God said that land is his. And as soon as he claimed that that land was his. I mean, the, we know Psalm 24, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein, they belong to him. But he says, that's true, but that land right there, about the size of New Jersey, is mine. I'm going to give it to my people. I'm going to give it to whom I wish. And as soon as he made that declaration, the devil and all of the hordes of hell came against it to keep it from happening, to show that God is somehow a liar, to thwart his purposes, and specifically to thwart the Messiah being born and somehow sabotaging Genesis 3.15 where the, the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent, crush the head of the serpent. Have you ever crushed the head of a serpent? Does it recover? No, it doesn't. You crush the head of the serpent and it's done. And ultimately that's the fate of Satan. And right now we know he's just like a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. But those promises of God stood true, and everything was against them, and even their own flesh. But let's look at verse 18, or chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel, they assembled together at Shiloh. The word Shiloh literally means rest, which is a fitting place for them because that's the place that they settled. And um, it's a place where they set up the tabernacle. In fact, it says that they set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. You know, they were, they, they were settling down, and they were going to set up the tabernacle because they needed a place to worship. And worship was a huge deal to the children of Israel. And it was in their DNA. It was, in, it was going all the way back in their heritage, going back to the very beginning to even Cain and Abel, when Abel offered the sacrifice. And then later, even after the flood, the the, the altars that were made by Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, so long in their history was this idea of worshiping God and also the idea of one being sacrificed in my place. And those animals that were sacrificed were sacrificed in the place of the people who were offering those. And God allowed that substitutionary death which we know is just a foreshadowing, really, of Jesus, his substitutionary death in our place on the cross. It was a, it was a, a, a type, if you will. But there's a, a phrase that someone has rightly said. It's a quote. It says, wherever I have a house, there God shall have an altar. Do you have an altar in your home? Not a physical, literal altar where you offer up you know, animals. I mean, your grill could be an altar, I guess. But I'm not speaking about an altar in that sense, but do you have a time where your family can gather around? Do you have a time where you can get into the Word of God and maybe pray together, whether it's on the bed at night before you go to bed like we do, or whether, you know, sometime where the family eats together, they hang out together, they pray together, and even get in the Word together, even if it's only for 10 or 15 minutes, 
I would encourage you to take the 10 or 15 minutes. You may have kids and they're all over the place, but take 15 minutes and get into the Word with them every single day. Start there. Start there and see what happens. Let them talk. You talk and let them do a lot of talking. Let them get engaged and excited about it. And you know what? I've learned from my own experience that if, I, if, I, if I'm always teaching, because <laughs> that's just kind of in my DNA, I guess, but if I'm always doing that and my daughter doesn't get an opportunity to speak, it becomes somewhat of a drag for her. And unfortunately, I learned that lesson maybe a little too late. I don't know. But be, get in the word with them. There has to be a family altar. But notice that this was an altar. They, they raised up the tabernacle. Notice that the worship of God, Jehovah, it was preeminent because now that they were settling, there was no time like the present to set up the tabernacle and get at it. And you know, oftentimes, when the Lord delivers and comes through on a promise or a blessing, just as we see here in a few minutes, that there's this tendency to kick back and, and forget the Lord. And, and that's exactly what we're going to see is going to happen. And, and, and Joshua had to kind of prod them along and, and scold them a little bit. But remember that they... Uh, that they halted their momentum, if you remember, that the same thing happened before. Remember when they first came into the land and they, con- they, they destroyed Jericho and then they learned a hard lesson at Ai. You know, they, after that second attempt on Ai and it was successful, there was a lot of momentum militarily. And, and, and it would have been very easy for them just to say, you know what, we're on this roll. We've had a, a, you know, a successful thing at Jericho and, and finally in Ai. We're ready to take it on because now we're, the guys are in shape. You know, they've, they've got their swords all cleaned up and, and sharpened, and they're ready to go out. They're in the mood. They're in the groove of it, you know what I mean? And so they were ready to do that. But they halted after that. They stopped. Joshua stopped them, and they had a worship service, if you remember, before Ebal and um, uh, Mount Gerizim. They stopped this momentum. It was kind of unusual for a military leader to do that because they were on a roll, but they did. They stopped. They took a moment, maybe a day or two. We don't really know how long it was, but they, they took a moment, and they, they gave thanks to God. They worshiped God, and then they continued, and it was good for them to do that. But we see here, we find the tabernacle being set up, and the tabernacle would stay in Shiloh all the way through the book of Joshua, it would be there in Shiloh all through the, the times of the judges. And we're talking about 300 years here. And then even on into 1 Samuel. In fact, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle, they were in Shiloh because we read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. It says, this man, Elkanah, he went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice. And if you're going to worship or sacrifice, you've got to have a temple or you've got to have an altar. And that's exactly what it was. In Shiloh, they had the altar. They had the, all the implements there, and, and the tabernacle was there. And it had been there for over 300 years, nearly 400 years. So here we are. We see Samuel here as a, you know, going up. I'm sorry, uh, not, not Samuel, but Elkanah going up to Shiloh to, to worship. And then we find out in, in 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 6, the Philistines coming and taking the Ark of the Covenant away from them. And then finally, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see this. This was uh, David's second attempt to bring in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it says this in 2 Samuel verse six, or chapter 6, verse 17. It says, So they, the Israelites and David, they brought the Ark of the Lord, 
And they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. So whatever happened to the original tabernacle, maybe it was beat up, maybe it needed a new skin, don't really know. But whatever happened, David um, uh, had a tabernacle that he erected for the Ark of the Covenant, and he brings it in. And so we're looking at quite a long time here. And this, was, this is a significant part. If you're um, a student of the Bible, which I hope you are, you know, underline that Shiloh and, and, and underline that word in this first verse and, and underline the word tabernacle because this is the first time that it's set up permanently for nearly 400 years. Before that, remember, they were nomads and going throughout the desert. But going on in verse 2, it says, But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Because we know that two and a half tribes on the west side, Judah, Ephraim, and and the half tribe of Manasseh, they had already settled immediately. But now there were seven other tribes that had not received their inheritance. And notice what it says in verse 3. It says, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, and notice he chides them. He gets on their case a little bit. He says, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Underline the word neglect, because it wasn't just you know, Joshua giving the orders and saying, You guys got to go now. The, 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 the idea is that somehow they lost momentum after, you know, Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh, after they got settled, they just kind of stalled out. They just kind of stalled out. We don't know how much time it was, and, 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 you know, Joshua was looking around and going, you know, I don't know how long it was, but let me just hypothetically say, you know, what are you guys doing? There's like three or four weeks now, and you guys are just sitting around the campfire. You got land to go in and possess. We got lots to draw. Why are you waiting? (laughs) And so human nature, isn't it? Can you see a lot of yourself in this? Have you ever had a victory? And then after the victory, what's the tendency to want to do? You want to kick back. You want to take the lid off the Coca-Cola bottle. And you want to sit back and sip in the shade. That's a tendency with us. Sometimes we get, we get confident. We, we have a victory and we kind of rest on our lees instead of going forward and pushing forward when we know we, there's still yet more yet to do. We get lazy. And that is possible for all of us. But the initiative and the obedience was evidently the individual tribe's responsibility at this point. And so their, their, their zeal just was lackluster at this point. So in verse 40, he says, Pick out from among you three men. From each of the tribes, and I will send them. They shall arise and go through the land. Notice, survey it. You might want to underline that. Survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. Survey the land. Three from each tribe. So you got three tri- or three men from each tribe of those seven tribes. you got 21 guys. Now they're going to go out and they're going to look in the land. Remember, it was very similar to what Joshua or what Moses did with Caleb and Joshua and those ten other men from each of the heads of the tribes. You know, go and search out the land, except this time I want you to go and survey the land. I want you to write it in a book. I want you to come back, and we we need to know exactly what's happening. And Josephus tells us in Antiquities, for those of you who care about this stuff, it's 5.1.21. It's in the Antiquities of Josephus. He, He reports that Joshua sent... Uh, ge- uh, geometricians, geometricians, I think, they're, they're geometry buffs, guys who really knew math and they understood maps and they were very gifted in writing maps. 
and, and, and parceling out lands. These are the guys who would have the tripod with that little yellow box on top, you know, and they'd have the hard hat on, and they'd be looking and, and par- parceling out the land and saying, you know, and, and going through that whole thing. That's what these kind of guys were. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.